This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's getting really hot in here. It's so hot. It's Getting Hot in Here is a programme about giving voice to the people in our community working for environmental and social change. The climate emergency is the defining issue of our lifetime. Our aim is to bring you content that helps us understand the climate crisis and explore actions to help us all to save ourselves. Just 100 yards downstream from where we're standing right now, the salmon used to come and spawn. Now the salmon aren't native and a lot of people don't care about them so much, but they're like kind of canaries in the cold mine. Artist Sam Mann at the Huronui River. They stopped spawning here 15 years ago, and every year they go further and further down the river, until eventually they didn't come in at all. And there used to be a trout at every corner in this river, they've gone. Cockabullies, you find a few. Since the last It's Getting Hot in Here, there's been a report on the state of New Zealand's fresh water. Yeah, so we have 76% of our native fish that are uh, at risk or threatened with extinction. Um, one of the highest kind of numbers in the world when you think of a proportion of, of species at risk, which is um, a real shame. For and the, the New Zealand government has announced a $700 million investment in freshwater I'm reforms. implementing these rules. Overall, my confidence is pretty low that these are going to address the problem that we've got. And I think that is echoed by a lot of the... Um, scientific community who actually had a part in, in developing some of these It seems somehow New Zealand's fresh water is in a worse state than any Kiwi may have expected. In the Hurunui, yes, I can still drink the water and we can take our kids and feel that they're going to be safe. But this year, for the first time, the first time in memory, two miles down from where we swim, we're not, we're not short from the mountains, we're not far down from the mountains. And two miles downstream, there's a sign saying don't swim in the middle of summer, for God's sake. According to scientists, the spend-up could have been more and far better targeted. I don't think it, um, I don't think it was a decision made completely objectively. I think there were some, some strong lobbying interests behind this. On this episode of It's Getting Hot in Here, the straining of fresh water down under. Well, it's official. Our rivers and lakes are seriously under threat of destruction. The latest environmental report on the state of our freshwater came out last month, produced by Ministry of the Environment and Stats New Zealand, and there's no denying it, the picture's grim. Over three-quarters of our native freshwater fish are either threatened with or at risk of extinction, and most of our rivers and lakes are polluted, and the problems are just expected to get worse under climate change. To help me understand why we're in this situation and what we can do about it, I'm joined by Tom Kay, who is the freshwater advocate for Forest and Bird. Kia ora, Tom. Kia ora, Laura. Now, why is the state of our freshwater continuing to decline when the vast majority of Kiwis have clearly identified water quality as, as being really important to them? Yeah, so we have a really impressive understanding, actually, I think, as... Um, a group of people in New Zealand of freshwater issues, the public has a, a, a really clear idea of what the problems are and, and they understand when we start talking about nutrient pollution or sediment in rivers um, or E. coli, they understand uh, what that means and what the problems are. And unfortunately, it's because a lot of them have seen it firsthand. They haven't been able to go swimming at 
uh, a beach in Auckland, say, or in a uh, in a river in in Canterbury, uh, and and they they really understand that and they see that it's a big issue that needs to be addressed. The problem is that it takes a bit of time to turn turn these things around, turn around these problems, and it's it's not easy to undo uh, the status quo in in our country and. We've relied hugely on agriculture as an economy, uh, as, an, as a kind of a, a pillar of our economy, as, as some would say, um, and it's it's a, unfortunately a massive cause of, of some of the problems we have. So it's really hard to, to turn that around. And then we've got sort of aging infrastructure with wastewater sewage treatment um, systems and pipes that are leaking and things like that. And it takes time and money to to address those things as well let alone, you know, the number of wetlands we've lost and, and uh, vegetation that's been cut back and, and trying to sort of put some of that back. So mm. it's, it's, a, it's a hard one to fix quickly. Do you think the tide is turning? I have my doubts, <laughs> to be honest. Um, we, we see some really good stuff. We see uh, councils and ratepayers really um, trying hard, putting, putting money into uh, infrastructure like upgrading sewage treatment plants, um, getting rid of those direct discharges into rivers where the pipe used to just you know, go straight into the, into the river with the treated sewage. We're starting to see people move to tre- uh, spreading treatment to land. Um, we're seeing farmers start to fence streams and, and plant riparian strips. But unfortunately, we've, we've still got that really close tie to the, the sort of industrial agricultural model where we're just you know throwing nitrogen fertilizer onto the land where we're trying mm. to pack as many cows paddock as we can um, we're, we're break feeding in winter where there's, there's mud going everywhere you know it's, it's not like that everywhere but the unfortunate reality is that we do it on such a scale in New Zealand that the environment just can't cope with the problems and that's the bit that we really haven't turned around yet I think. Mm. So this latest report that came out in April, our Freshwater 2020, that looked at four priority areas of freshwater, is that right? Yeah, so it kind of builds on a previous report uh, that was done, and it, it, it breaks it down by issue. So I think there's there's sort of four main issues that uh, that New Zealand has, and you've, you've probably had a look at it. Um, one of them's um, climate change, how climate change is affecting freshwater. Uh, one's about water flows, so the, the quantity of water that we have in our, our rivers. One's about pollution from urban farming and forestry areas. And the other is about our species and the ecosystems uh, that, are, that are under threat in our freshwater system. Mm. Let's just break that down a wee bit, starting with the freshwater so species. Why are they continuing to native decline? fish that are uh, at risk or threatened with extinction. Um, one of the highest kind of numbers in the world when you think of a proportion of species at risk, which is um, a real shame for New Zealand, um, particularly when you think that we protect some introduced species like trout and salmon. So it's, it's a really interesting situation we've gotten ourselves into. It's a really sad situation mm-hmm. to have gotten ourselves into. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's again those, those problems with um, pollution of, of waterways uh, that have, that have you know, made these places difficult for our species to live, but also that we're actually we've stripped back a huge amount of the physical habitat in our rivers. So if you go down to um, a local river in a, in a city or a suburban setting, um, chances are it won't look like a river. It's usually um, got stop banks or there might be some concrete structures in there or some groins have been built. There's probably not a lot of vegetation on the side of it anymore. Um, you know, you think of somewhere like Hamilton, you walk along the Waikato River, um, it hasn't really got all the, you know, the vegetation around it anymore. You, you go to somewhere like White or, or Napier um, or the Manawatu, you know, the, the river has been confined into its, um, 
into its channel and it's not allowed to connect with its floodplain anymore. Uh, it doesn't have the sort of natural shapes that a river would have. It hasn't got all the all the um, the woody debris that might be there. And, and as a result of that, you lose a lot of the habitat that's available for mm. fish. So they can't breed the same way that they would usually. Um, they won't go into the same side streams because maybe those side streams have been um, interrupted by a culvert for a road or um, a small weir for someone's water supply or something like that. So we've cut off a huge proportion of habitat. We've destroyed a bunch of habitat. Um, and we've made the water you know, not as desirable for these species to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not just our fish species. It's also you know, macroinvertebrates, the little sort of bugs that we have living in our streams. Um, and it's the other things that rely on um, those macroinvertebrates and right. fish and, and, and water to kind of thrive. Yeah. yeah, so the whole ecosystem is impacted. Exactly. Um, water pollution, of course, big problem not only in farming areas, but urban areas and forestry. Yeah, so this report kind of throws the spotlight a little bit um, away from, from farming uh, and towards some of the urban and forestry areas that also create problems for us. Um, it certainly doesn't uh, doesn't you know go light on farming. It, it really does say that look you know farming still takes up the vast majority of New Zealand's land. Therefore, the the pressure that it exerts on our freshwater is huge. But it kind of says look also urban you know urban areas only make up a very small percent, percentage of our waterways, but where they are, they are impacted really significantly. Mm. And then forestry is one that we don't often think about, although probably is on a f- sort of closer to the front of people's minds um, following some of the big storm events we had, with um, particularly around Nelson, Melbourne area, where we've had huge amounts of runoff and, and trees coming off slopes and um, a lot of debris going everywhere. So you can see the impact of forestry on our waterways as mm. well. So, yeah, it, it really kind of draws the attention to all of those issues and, and basically says that, uh, across 95% of our, our rivers in developed areas, so those areas that aren't pristine anymore, those areas that are urban, farming or forestry areas, waterways are you know, degraded in, a, in at least sort of one way that we would measure them. And also there, there's some new emerging contaminants in the groundwater as well? Yeah, so it does allude to a few things that we've started to look at that we sort of probably hadn't thought of as being problems in the past, um, pesticides and herbicides and things like that. Um, And again, something we hadn't thought about a huge amount until recently, we've had, you know, um, the the firefighting foam sort of scare where we've realised that that's actually um, not a good substance to be using and it has been getting into um, aquifers that have been drawn on for drinking water. So there's sort of growing attention on these things. They're they're not yet at levels that seem to raise concern in this report, but um, certainly something that sort of stats NZ and the Ministry for the Environment are flagging to say, look, we're starting to pick up on these. This is potentially going to be of a concern. And we've, we've already sort of seen some of those numbers in a way with um, nitrate, nitrogen levels yeah. in, in groundwater. Um, we're realising that potentially nitrogen levels, you know, much lower than what we thought was of, a, of an issue could, could actually be harmful towards um, people and potentially be causing increased cases of cancer and there's a review of that going on at the moment. So, um, yeah, it really highlights some of these issues that are, that are growing um, alongside the sort of existing issues we have with species and, and water pollution. Mm. How did changing water flows affect freshwater? Yeah, this is an, another part of freshwater sort of quality in New Zealand that maybe the public hasn't quite got to yet. Um, basically, in order for a river to, to function really well, you know, we want... The, the water to be of high quality. We want there to not be a lot of E. coli or contaminants. We don't want there to be sediment that's choking up the system. We want the, 
the species to be there, but we also need to provide um, habitat and water for those species. So, you know, if we are drawing a lot of water from a river for irrigation or we are siphoning it, siphoning it off to, to put behind uh, a, a dam or into water storage ponds, we draw down the level of that river. And, and if you can imagine, uh, just like when you have a, a puddle um, in summer or say, you know, after a, a big rain in summer, you have a big puddle and as it dries up, the area of that puddle gets smaller and smaller and, and anything that was in that puddle would suddenly run out of space. So just like, uh, just imagine that in a river in summer, you, you have the whole riverbed covered as that river comes down and down and the flow drops, more and more of the riverbed is exposed, the channel gets smaller and smaller and the habitat that's available for fish or invertebrates gets smaller and smaller. So, you know, we, we are, uh, we don't really have a good system of managing uh, how we allocate water to different uses in New Zealand. And what what's happened, unfortunately, is that we draw down a lot on the groundwater that we have. We draw down a lot on the what we refer to as the surface water, but actually the the water that's in the rivers. And then the combined effect is that uh, is that there's less water in the sort of in the ground to 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 naturally uh, feed rivers and things like that. And then there's also less water in the river itself, and, and as a result, we have less habitat. You combine that with uh, high nutrient loads or high E. coli levels, and that gets kind of concentrated because you've got less water there, and then you've got this kind of recipe for, for really poor um, habitat. And people can see the algal blooms. You can see it for yourself. Yeah, exactly, and we've seen in Hawke's Bay, um, probably in, in other places as well, um, in the Salwyn River, for example, in Canterbury, um, rivers you know, drying up in, in summer. And, and, you know, sometimes that's a, a natural phenomenon. You get portions of a river that are really gravelly and the river will actually sort of disappear under underground for a, a small portion and kind of pop back up again. But in Hawke's Bay, we've, we've had um, situations where the rivers have, have been drawn down and dried up as a result of the drought conditions. And we've had, you know, dead eels and fish in, in the riverbed, which is pretty horrific. Mm. And... Of course, climate change is expected to make things worse. How is that predicted to happen? Yeah, so climate change is expected to make things more difficult. Um, we're gonna, you know, it's gonna affect where where we get rain and where we get snow, where we get drought conditions. Generally, the the sort of predictions say that east coast areas that have been dry, areas like Hawke's Bay, Wairarapa, Canterbury, will probably get drier more often. Um, areas that are wet, like the west coast or Taranaki, uh, will get wet more often. Um, and that just kind of adds to, kind of creates more extreme conditions for all the problems we have. So where we have drought, we might have droughts more often. Uh, they might go on for longer. Um, where we have really intense storms, they might be, uh, you might see more rainfall, more flooding, um, or they might last longer. And we've kind of seen Examples of what that can look like. Um, sort of end of last year, we had a, a lot of flooding on on the west coast, the destruction of some uh, dock tracks and huts and things like that. And we actually had flooding on the east coast, like in the Rangitata, because of those source areas for those rivers are way mm. up in the in the Alps. So we sort of saw the impact of that on the east coast. And then we're seeing at the moment Hawke's Bay, um, Northland drought conditions that have sort of gone on for as, as long as anyone can remember. Um, so. Yeah, it really is going to impact how we how we think about all these things. There's obvious implications for the rivers as well because um, you know people are going to be wanting to take more water for longer, um, which means less water in the river for fish and, mm. and our native species. It's it's going to be a difficult one to navigate. Definitely. I mean, it really sounds like a mess. It, um, <laughs> it is a bit. 
Now, the government has just announced new policies to clean up our waterways that include less agricultural intensification, uh, less use of nitrogen fertilizer, a shorter deadline for councils to set out their freshwater plans, um, also mandatory plans for every farm, rules preventing stock from entering the waterways, and stricter rules for water quality. So how confident are you that these measures will clean up our fresh water? That is a really good question, and the answer is kind of um, dependent on who's going to be implementing these rules. Overall, my confidence is pretty low that these are going to address the problem that we've got, and I think that is echoed by a lot of the um, scientific community who actually had a part in in developing some of these limits. Um, The reason for that is that a few key measures or key limits for freshwater quality are missing from those proposals. So you listed some of the things that are really good about these proposals. Um, There is some stock exclusion rules. Um, They're not as good as what was recommended, but they are there. There is a fertiliser cap. It's very high, but it is there. Um, There's limits on wetland and and stream loss, which is is really good to say, look, we can't lose any more wetlands because we've lost so many before. Um, But we're missing limits or or good limits on some key nutrient pollutants that we have uh, in New Zealand streams being nitrogen and phosphorus. And without those, it's really hard to see how we're going to address the problems that we have with intensive agriculture polluting water in New Zealand because the key pollutants from that activity are nitrogen and phosphorus. And why are they missing? Well, the argument that was put forward... Uh, by the minister and, and the ministry, was that the science um, supposedly isn't there yet. You know, the people haven't couldn't agree on on what the limit for nitrogen pollution in in our water should be. Um, but that's that's not really true. Um, there was a, a group of scientists that were put together to to put these recommendations to the minister, saying you know what the, what the limits in our rivers should be. 14 out of 19 of them said we should have a limit of one milligram per litre of nitrogen in our rivers and streams. So just a sort of concentration measure, it should be set at one. Um, 14 out of 19 scientists agreed that that was a good idea. Five of them said um, said that they, they didn't quite agree with that approach, that maybe it wouldn't uh, get the outcomes that people wanted. Um, a, a different approach should be taken. All those numbers, you know, weren't, well, they weren't willing to support those numbers as being um, scientifically robust. But that was five out of 19 people saying that they, they weren't good enough. 14 out of 19 said, yes, we absolutely need these limits. Despite that, the minister ignored the scientific consensus and went with the minority view. And could that possibly have been a political decision, given that New Zealand First is a partner in this government and might have put some pressure on? I, I think they would like to claim that. Um, I think there is some, some truth to that statement. Um, I mean, it, it's hard to, to point fingers exactly, but you know, of the five scientists that, that disagreed with, with that limit, um, uh, two or three of them work for NIWA, um, the National Institute of Water and Atmosphere. They do a lot of work for Dairy NZ, so you know, they, have, they have an income that, that comes partly from the dairy industry. Um, one of those um, scientists works for a regional council that's been taken to the Environment Court for failing to implement uh, the limits in their plan on nutrient leaching and pollution in mm-hmm. streams. So 
it's it's hard to sort of take away those those potentially um, those conflicts of interest from from those scientists and accept that this was a you know a, a, a decision that was made objectively. Um, and there's there's evidence that's come up in an OIA um, showing some some email correspondence between some of those scientists and DRNZ throughout the process. Um, again, it's really hard to point fingers because it's just kind of smoking gun stuff. But there's you know it's it's I don't think it. Um, I don't think it was a decision made completely objectively. I think there were some some strong lobbying interests behind this. Mm. But some of the the new rules and policies will help reduce the nitrogen that's going into the soils and then into the waterway, right? Uh, hopefully. So we've got a limit on fertilizer use. Um, it's set at 190 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare per year. So that's how much a farmer could put on their land. The average use for a dairy farm across New Zealand is 150 kilograms. So a lot of farmers are already using less, Mm. but there are some farmers, um, for instance, dairy farmers in Canterbury, the average use for them is 222 kilograms per hectare. So hopefully that will bring some of those farmers down and and bring their leaching down. It will also save them money on on fertiliser because generally the the return in grass growth that you get from throwing that much fertiliser on is is very low. So that will hopefully help a bit. There's... There are actually some some really strong directions in there about te mana or te wai and mm. the water having intrinsic value in and of itself, and and that you know should be at the forefront of how we manage our rivers. Um, there's a, a real focus on ecosystem health that the fish and the water and the macroinvertebrates, the bugs and the streams should all be healthy, and and there's some some limits on sediment pollution and things like that. Uh, what it comes down to is whether a regional council can actually. Um, implement this as, as strongly as it needs to be implemented. You could you could say that the previous version of this um, policy was actually quite quite strong and if implemented properly, you know, would have seen change. And, and you can say the same about this one, um, but it just comes down to, to the, the strength of those councils that administer it. So it's really up to the regional councils to monitor the compliance of all, all of these rules? Yeah, absolutely. And to to make sure these rules are given effect to in their in their region and followed by um, farmers and land users and and you know wastewater treatment plants and all that kind of stuff and and that the improvements actually come through for fish and and people that want to swim in the rivers and all that kind of stuff. Mm. It never ceases to be of high interest to the public, so I'm sure you folks and other other groups out there that have the interests of freshwater at heart are going to continue to put the pressure on. Yeah, we absolutely will. And, and the government said, you know, they're going to review that, that lack of the nitrogen limit in 12 months' time. So we're certainly going to hold them to that. And they're going to be reviewing things like the nitrogen um, fertilizer use cap in, in 2023. And so this is certainly not, um, it's not over. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll keep the pressure on. And I'm sure the public will keep the pressure on as well because they, they do really care about fresh water and swimming in our rivers and the health of our fish and everything. So. Yeah. What do you encourage the rest of us to do? Yeah, well, there's a few things we can we can do. Um, I mean, I was you know saying to people that uh, we're realizing more and more as we were in lockdown, in particular, that um, you know being outdoors and and being out in the environment is this amazing thing. So, firstly, I, I would encourage people to get out again now that we can to you know go walking in the hills or, or go and visit your local river and, and experience being outdoors again. You know, since we missed it so much. Um, so I, I've found that really valuable for myself. But then 
there's there's things that we can do to keep the pressure on the government. So you can go to the Forest and Bird uh, website and you can find our Recovery for People and Planet document on our on our main website page and, and flip through that and see what kind of ideas we've got and, and which ones you like and things like that. And then you could pretty you know, easily jump on Facebook or, or flick an email to a local MP or your local uh, councillor or even to um, to a minister or someone in government and say, look, here's these ideas that I really like for, for where this $20 billion could go that you haven't tagged yet. This is the direction we should be going or, or this is the recovery that I want to see for um, for New Zealand post um, post these issues. And, and then there's more sort of direct things that we can do if we want to engage um, directly in planting projects. There's lots of councils, again, that are, that are actually kicking off their planting days. This, um, for instance, Wellington Regional Council, uh, Greater Wellington Regional Council has, has uh, scheduled some some community planting days on Facebook that people can can get out and, and connect again with nature and plant some trees and do things like that. So I'd encourage people to, to jump out and, and check their council's Facebook pages or websites to see if there's similar events happening. And, and if there's not, look for a forest and bird branch nearby and, and join up and get involved in some on-the-ground conservation work with forest and birds. All right. Well, thanks so much. No worries. Thank you. And it seems the fresher, cleaner environment buzz brought about by COVID-19's lockdown effect was a temporary high. According to scientists monitoring CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere, quote, people may be surprised to hear that the worldwide response to the coronavirus outbreak has made no appreciable difference to the world's ability to meet global heating goals of 2 degrees Celsius. However, other scientists and artists took advantage of the COVID-19 quiet buzz to record the first global sound map of the Spring Dawn Chorus. Louder and clearer than ever before, according to regulars. You've been listening to It's Getting Hot In Here on Plains FM. If you want to check out the podcast, go to the Plains FM website. Many thanks to everyone who helped make this program and Sheldon Murtha. I'm Laura Gartner. Thank you for listening. Matewa. wa.